This is Can We Catch Up, written by Cal and Dana, and performed by Catherine Tui. Your call has been forwarded to an automatic voice message system. At the tone, please record your message. When you have finished recording, you may hang up or press 1 for more options. Hey, Naomi! Hi. Surprise. So I got your number from Louise Karen. Uh, she was visiting here last week. We ran into each other. Um, I thought you two might see each other in New York, so I thought to ask um, when I saw her. To be honest, it made me a little sad that she had your number, and I didn't think, I mean, not sad. Just nostalgic, I think. Yeah. I know that this time must be crazy right now. I'm sure a billion people are also calling to say nice things. Congratulations on this book. I mean, holy crap. This is totally amazing, Naomi. I'm so proud of you. I'm so happy for you. I saw the interview with you in the New York Times. Oh my god, Naomi, you just sound brilliant. I haven't read the book yet, but I'm very excited to read your writing. And Carrots, honey, what's the matter? Honey, one second. Sorry, my dog, I have this crazy mutt. You, you would love her, but she's... What is it, sweetheart? She wants dinner time, I think. One second, carrots, please, honey. I know you're busy, but my number is 503-992-0014. I'm sure you don't have time, but um, yeah, it would be great to hear from you again if you could make time. I have a lot of time, actually, so. Hi, sorry, I got cut off. Uh, anyway, talk soon. Congratulations again. Um, I can't wait to catch up. I actually found our senior yearbook the other day when I was trashing a bunch of stuff at my mom's and Naomi, your note, it was very moving, kind. Do you still have your yearbooks? I wonder what I wrote in yours. I'm just curious. By the way, your kids sound really, really sweet on the voicemail. At the tone, please record your message. Hey, I missed your call earlier. Sorry, I was at work. Um, yes, 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 what great timing. I would so love to see you when you're visiting here. Are you going to be staying with your mom? I would come whenever you are. Can you just remind me what night you're getting in? Or call me? We'll make a plan. If you call back in the morning, I'm usually around then, most weekdays. Not that you need to work around my schedule, but um, yeah. So we'll make something work. I'm so excited to see you. I am so excited. I still bartend at Two Birds, One Stone. You remember Two Birds. It's a fine job. I mean, no, actually, it's awful. I am desperate to quit. Yeah, so that's where I still work most nights. Carrots, honey, what is it now? No, you don't need more food. No, no, you don't, sweetheart. No, you don't. Poor, poor boy. Sorry, Naomi, my dog. Um, anyway, um, just let me, let me know about your scheduling. Whatever is fine. I'm truly, I am really excited to see you. I keep saying that. Okay, talk soon. Oh, oh, I haven't had time to read your book yet. I've been saying it, but um, I'm going to try to get it before you come here. Okay, much love. Bye. At the tone, please record your message. Hey, Naomi. Hi. We were together like an hour ago, so sorry to call back so soon. I wanted to call to apologize because I feel like things got very weird. Yeah, they did. Um, I don't know why I got so emotional. I really don't know what happened. I feel really, really, really stupid about it, honestly. I feel like embarrassed 
<laughs> and yeah, I, I know you said it wasn't a big deal, but I feel like I made you uncomfortable. I know that I made you uncomfortable, actually, I could tell. I mean, you were being really nice about it, but you kept looking over your shoulders, and... <sighs> yeah, clearly, you didn't want to be there. Which, which isn't your fault, that you felt that way. But it did make me feel like shit. I really have just missed you, and that's really all it was. That's not an excuse for, like, yelling at you, but... Listen, are you leaving tomorrow? Can I see you again before? I feel a little dumb even asking that because I know you're here to promote the book, but I feel sick to my own. Hey, sorry, guy got cut off again. I just wanted to say, I feel like I just messed up the whole thing with us talking. I don't want to sound dramatic when I say this, and I don't know how else to say it, but... I felt really abandoned by you for a long time. I also know that we're adults now and it wasn't your responsibility to take care of me, but um, I don't know, maybe you did have a responsibility to me. I don't understand why we aren't allowed to expect things of each other. Yeah. We had a deep bond, Naomi. It was something that I thought made both of us. If you hadn't gotten into Columbia, I mean, things could be really different. They would be... Well... It's all worked out very well for you the last decade, it seems. Carrots, honey, no, 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 carrots, come on! My stupid dog, ah, he's sick. Hang on. At the tone, please record your message. Hi, sorry for all the voicemails. It's just something's wrong with this stupid dog. I don't know what, and I can't keep paying for the... Anyway, sorry, I just... I feel like I had more to say, Naomi. I wish I could be more coherent when I saw you today because I feel like I exploded it and ruined this chance we had to get back into each other's lives. Maybe you don't care about that. At the tone, please record your message. Hey, me again. Uh, I don't know why I keep walking back how I truly feel. <laughs> I want to say clearly now that I'm... Naomi, I'm, I'm not like a loser. I know that's what you think, and I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. At the tone, please record your message. Hello. I hope you listen to this and don't just automatically delete it. I know we left off on a bad note last year. Last year was um bad from start to finish, for me actually. Not that that's an excuse, but... Well, I was drinking too much. And some of my coworkers, there was um, an intervention. Which was ultimately good, but... Yeah, awful for some time. And my dog died. I don't know what was wrong with her. She was just, she was just never kind of well. Until I found her in the yard one night, which was also shitty. And I got herpes, but that actually was like the least bad thing of the year, so. But things have slowly been getting well. I'm trying to be patient. Gentle. I wanted to tell you that I finally read the book. I had bought it, I don't know, right when it came out. I couldn't get myself to read it for so long, but it's, um, I mean, it's wonderful. It really is. For a while, I thought that even if the book was incredible, I'd be too jealous and upset to see that. But it didn't make me jealous reading it. It made me, I 
don't want to be narcissistic, but I felt like I saw a nice part of myself in it. Nice memories, slivers of experiences we had when we were young. Maybe I'm just reading too much into that, but I felt like we were there. Teenage you and me were alive in it, and it made me happy to see our younger selves. I felt like the Anna character was me a little bit. A little bit. (laughs) Which made me happy, because if the narrator is you, well, I felt like the narrator really cared for Anna. Really believed in Anna. Which made me hope that maybe you really believed in me. Naomi, do you think I could still be the person I was supposed to be? Hello, and welcome to The Chef's Monologue, a podcast where we, your hosts, Phil Kenner, and me, Michael Wilder Frizzell, invite our favorite writers to cook up an original short monologue based on a recipe that we provide. Then, we interview those iconic writers about their process, thoughts on theater, film, TV, etc., and deliver it directly into your hungry ears. We're so happy you're with us today for this special episode. Uh, Where it's, I think it's our first episode. (laughs) I think we have the one, the only, Calendana here. Um, We just heard the incredible, iconic Catherine Tui deliver Callan's monologue entitled, Can We Catch Up? So, Callan, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. This is very fun and funny to be in this room recording. (laughs) (laughs) This tiny little room. (laughs) What was it like hearing your monologue from Catherine? It was very fun. I, um, Catherine is wonderful. She is really game to try stuff out. And, uh, really like just brought such a natural charisma and presence like from the get-go which was really a joy and I've also never done anything like this I've never like written a monologue as a performance piece piece in and of itself um and never done audio theater so it was it was kind of a delight (laughs) oh my god that's sick so what was it like writing your first audio fiction monologue thingy it was fun. I It was very challenging, honestly, which I was kind of not anticipating. Perhaps I have too much hubris. Um, but I was like, I, when you guys asked me to do it, I was, of course, very flattered and very excited. But I also feel like one of the benefits of grad school so far is that I do feel like I can pump out a lot of material often. Um, so I was like, oh, sure, I'll take out another writing project. Um, But writing a monologue and trying to make the monologue not just part of a larger piece, but really like a complete, like I said earlier, a complete thing in and of itself is, I found challenging. Um, And I feel like it took a lot of starts and and false starts and um, and like kind of, it took a lot of mulling over to think Mm -hmm. of things that I'm like, oh, I would be interested in hearing this. A, only hearing it and not seeing the Mm -hmm. physical performance, but also in that being the the only thing that we get of this world. Walk us through, did this go through a couple of drafts? How did you start? Did it did it did you write it full whole cloth? How did it go? The did it go th- yes, it went through many drafts. Um I uh, 
it, I mean, it started out just being like, oh, I have to turn it in soon. <laughs> like, here we go. I'm going to like I had like a vague idea of what I wanted to write about. And I, I knew from the get go that I was like, I feel like I as a playwright, at least right now in my life, don't often try and write like naturalistic speech. Like, I feel like that's not always where I first go. Mm-hmm. And I was like, for this project, I wanted to try and challenge myself to do that. I also was like, I think I would find that interesting as like a person listening to a monologue as if it sounded like somebody talking on the phone. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I wanted to try and stretch myself to do that. So I knew that, that I wanted it to be somebody leaving voicemails. I had a couple ideas and then it was kind of like, I got to turn it in. So I burst (laughs) it out in one big draft and like did some revisions and then, you know, over the course of like two days and then sent it to you guys. And then you sent me back really, really lovely, helpful notes which I then ruminated on, oh, and then I was like, <laughs> stunning notes. And then I was like, oh, I got to fix it too. And then I revisited it, and it wasn't that the first version was bad, but I was just looking at it, and I was like, I feel like I want to get to a more truthful place, and I felt like I just wanted the tone to change. So then mm-hmm. a lot of it changed from there, both based off of your off of your notes and also me being like, I feel like I have slightly different desires for what I want to do with this. Nice. Um I want to go. I want to talk about two things you just mentioned, but they're separate. One of them is deadlines <laughs> and how useful deadlines can or can't be, yeah. depending. And then also naturalistic speech and how you usually write and how this may differ from that. But we'll start with deadlines because I feel like that's a quick, funny thing. Do you find that deadlines help you write normally? Yeah, I feel like that's like why I wanted to go to school, mm-hmm. go back to grad school for it. <laughs> um, no, amongst other things, there were many reasons why I wanted to go to school. But right, you're like, I'm going to pay all this money <laughs> yes, so exactly. people can I was shout like, deadlines exactly. at me. Exactly. How much money can I pay? <laughs> what an asshole I am. <laughs> I went to grad school for deadlines. No, um, I I feel like, yes, I feel, deadlines are, I feel like they're totally necessary. I feel like I gave myself deadlines before school also, which I would do in sometimes um, <laughs> risky ways, like being like telling a theater like, hey, can I do my show there in four months? And then mm-hmm. being like, I have to make this happen in four months. Mm-hmm. Um so, yeah, I, th- I think you have to set them for yourself. And that's also, like, grad- going to grad school for deadlines is kind of a joke. But also I think the truthfulness in it is having uh, c- colleagues and, and a co- having co- a cohort of people who are, mm-hmm. like, also invested in your work and paying attention to your work and knowing that they're going to see your work and they're smart people, so you want to impress them with your work, which means mm-hmm. that you want to put effort into it. Um, yes, they're, that- they're essential. That touches on something that I used to do before school, too, where I would deliberately tell people that I really respected and admired, <laughs> uh-huh. like, oh, I'll send you the script on Friday. <laughs> and then I'd feel embarrassed uh-huh. if I didn't. So I'd be like, yes. oh, I have to tell my really hot, talented friends that, like, <laughs> we're going to do a reading or, like mm-hmm. you said, a theater or someone who directs who I really love. Like, oh, yeah, I have this new play. Mm-hmm. And then I would have to write something to make up for it. Yeah. So I would lie at first and then have to justify the lie with a script. And that was. <laughs> I think that's great. I'm. Yeah. Like, I feel like also because it's like you really just have to keep generating stuff to get better. So I'm like, mm-hmm. yes, give yourself these silly. Like, put yourself in a shitty position. <laughs> It'll eventually work out. <laughs> Title of episode: Put yourself in a shitty position. <laughs> um, and then naturalistic speech, right? Like, how does this monologue? in your canon of writing? Is it is it normally how you write? You mentioned usually not writing things that are so naturalistic. Talk a little bit more about that. 
Yes. I I feel like I envy people who I think can write the little hiccups, natural hiccups of Mm. speech like I just had um, in like an in an authentic and compelling way, Mm -hmm. Um, especially in an authentic and compelling way for theater specifically. And I feel like I am not often one of those people, but I have such great admiration for certain plays. I mean, I feel like the obvious one is like Annie Baker plays. Mm -hmm. You read it and you're like, wow, I would love to get to say that monologue on stage. Mm Um, but many, you know, many other writers as well. But I feel like I always have admiration for it. But it's not where I naturally lean. And some of that has to do with taste, where I just think that my taste and at least the kind of theater that I'm more interested in making right now is more like sharp and, yeah, sharp and poetic, if that like kind of mm. and like very like uh, language driven in a different kind of way in a like uh I, yeah, the sounds of words way. I don't know. It's um, <laughs> a, um, a gorgeous way to put it. Yeah. Sharp and poetic. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I and so I and I just feel like I'm not often writing naturalistic scenarios. Like I feel like I am more often in a like surreal camp, um, maybe. But I felt like for an audio play, I was like, I feel like this would be really. Int- I feel like I would be interested in hearing. But like I said earlier, like hearing somebody. Try speak naturalistically or natural naturalistically or right trying to write in an effort that sounded naturalistic, and I did find it difficult. And I actually feel like the first thing I wrote, while it had parts that were interesting, I kind of looked back at it like two days ago, and was like, I I don't know. So this mm-hmm. was like I feel like that I basically rewrote it from. I did a page one rewrite to try and nice. get it in a place that felt more authentic to me. How do you usually go about doing rewrites? Are you a page one rewriter? I was not. I mean, it's like I'm 24. Like, <laughs> I don't <laughs> right. even what a ridiculous write. question no, no, to no, ask no. someone. No, 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 not ridiculous. I just it's funny because I'm like, how do I usually write? And it's like, well, ultimately, I guess it's mostly been like four years since I've been writing. So it's not. But hmm. I think that before school, I was not at all. And I actually feel like that helped me back a lot that I would get stuck in drafts because truly of just the experience of like looking at the same word document and like just procrastinating by like making tiny line edits, which are also useful, but like not doing bigger, taking bigger reworking risks. But I think I'm transitioning into being a page one rewriter, which Mm -hmm. doesn't mean like dumping everything, obviously, but just like I think there is something really good about just being like, how immaculate can I make this? And mm-hmm. and like on a line by line basis. And I feel like it's actually easier to do that when you start literally from scratch again. You know, it's funny for, just to hear you talk about that. I yeah, I also feel like I don't. You know, I've only been writing. I guess I've been writing for a little bit longer than you, but not much. Mm-hmm. Like, and people ask me what is my process or what kind of what how do I write plays? And I'm like, I don't know. I I, I do sort of blindly hold on to some kind of structure so it feels like I have some kind of power over the process but a lot of it is like I don't know I write stuff and you know I used to I guess I should say I used to really believe that I have to write all of my plays by hand mm-hmm. and if I write it by hand that will give me the flexibility to just say oh it's just pencil and paper mm-hmm. and then when I did the transmutation from paper <laughs> into typing that was the first draft technically that was a second draft but really in my, you know that was mm-hmm. the first type draft and it was this sort of psychic barrier for me to be like oh you know I can I can just play on this page it doesn't matter I can cross hold things out and I can just mm-hmm. you know and when I also came to grad school I was like well one I don't have time to do have this sort of luxurious <laughs> writing process anymore yeah. 
but I don't know if I need it. I don't know how crucial it was to my, if, if that was just sort of a way for me to, um, you're laughing at me, but. Um, I am, because I have a story. Okay, <laughs> now that that's the end of my story. It's like, you know, I wonder how much of, of, of people who swear by their processes, how crucial it is to their results, to their uh-huh. products, rather than just sort of more, and, and then it, it's just as valid if it's if it's a, if it helps them write their plays or their screen, their screenplays, and that that's fine. But it's you know sort of m- trying to mine somebody else's process and hoping to get some of their magic maybe isn't the best way to do it. Yeah, I think sometimes process. Sometimes process can also be a defense mechanism. It's like, oh, I don't write that way, and so I won't write that mm. way, and then I won't learn from what it might <laughs> be like to write that way. And I was laughing because in undergrad we had a master class, and someone came in and like looked at all of us on our laptops taking notes, and she was like, do you write your plays on those screens? <laughs> do you write your plays on those screens? And we were all like, yeah, we fucking write <laughs> plays on our computers. And she was like, you have to write them on paper. And I, the physical mm. like repulsion I mm. felt at that note, I was like, I'm not going to write my fucking plays on paper. You know how long that would take? Mm. I don't have any goddamn time. Mm. So I... You know, I just said sometimes process is a defense mechanism, and I had a real defense mechanism <laughs> for response to that. And that was while I was writing a play that was particularly challenging for me to write. And so then I started to write it on paper, and I swear to God, it made it worse. I was like, <laughs> I just fell into all my worst habits. I was being really indulgent. I felt like I was like Tennessee Williams with a pen <laughs> or something, or a typewriter. And I was like, no, this is not it. I'm getting too indulgent. You know, not to bring Annie Baker up again, but I'm going to. I listened to an inter- in an interview on a podcast with her from like several years ago where she said she was like I always maybe she I don't know if she still does this but at the time she was like I always write on a computer because I really believe in typography mm. and I was like I all, I had this false illusion that I'm like oh actually I would be a more serious writer if I hadn't wrote my things mm-hmm. I'm like no mm-hmm. like it's value like it's valuable to believe mm-hmm. in typography it's valuable to be like no this is actually a better way for me like you were saying to not like be indulge, uh, indulgent right. or precious you mm-hmm. know and what playwright does not love to fuck with the font mm-hmm. yes you know? exactly and, like, no, this is a Baskerville play <laughs> <laughs> this is not a Times New Roman piece this piece is Futura what, what font do we have here for can we catch up? Palatino, which is a new Palatino, <laughs> case and point. Playwrights <laughs> love to play with the font. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about Can We Catch Up, the monologue itself. What were some themes you were interested in exploring when you sat down to write it? Um, should I tell you what my secret ingredient was? Oh, yeah, why <laughs> not? Why not? Yeah, let's talk about the secret ingredient. So this is the part of the podcast where we ask the writer to reveal to us the secret ingredient in their recipe. Um, so Callan, it will be revealing live to us. We have no idea what it was. Callan, please tell us your secret ingredient. Okay, my secret ingredient was a betrayal. <laughs> oh, <laughs> by Harold Pinter. <laughs> la la. <laughs> Which I felt, uh, that's, I, I didn't mean to skip ahead to that section of this uh, interview, but I was like, oh, I feel like that's an important, it's related to the themes mm-hmm. because I felt like I, I was like, I, wanna, I want there to be a betrayal in it. And I feel like I was like, I feel like all the, actually all the time in my life I'm interested in writing about like forgiveness and regret, which I think is a pretty two pretty common themes for playwrights. <laughs> um, so I feel like I I often end up writing like that just ends up being where I go back to is somebody who's like really bogged down by a memory in some way, 
by a memory or a relationship in some way or a time in their life and like just can't get out of being of, of can't get out of that memory for it's still um holding back their life or they're still stuck to it in some way and i feel like in live theatrical performance i often am interested in like playing with like uh, a lot there are just more instruments to like play with in life like you're like what are the lights gonna do and like what's the like tempo and how is time gonna pass in this way but knowing that it was gonna be restricted to a five to seven minute monologue um I was like the I that was where I landed on just like I, I felt like I wanted it to be voicemails that are just like passing over time and that felt like the way that I was interested in mm-hmm. engaging with that voice there's something going on in your monologue about the way that time passes and the way that grudges mm-hmm. get juicier and juicier the longer you hold on to them. Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. you start and you're like, oh, I don't resent this person for that thing they did. And then the more you pretend you don't resent them <laughs> for it, the worse the resentment gets. Yeah. And I completely felt that in your monologue. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, God, I, I should call some people and tell them I'm mad mm-hmm. at them for something. <laughs> something they did four years ago before I start to really fucking hate them in two years. <laughs> Um, but then there's also that gorgeous time shift at the end mm-hmm. where a year passes and she she has this sort of final, you know, I don't know. I think that I, I love that moment and that, that w- walk us through how, how that came about or that was just organic mm-hmm. or. Um, yeah, I also love time shifts so much. I love like I feel like that's one of the great things that you can do with like dramatic storytelling, I guess. Like, right. Is like the way that the control that you have over temporality is just very different from a novel because it's one contained like whoever like unless I guess with the podcast somebody could pause 30 seconds in and then return to it (laughs) later on but but like they're probably going to listen to the whole thing in one go and so I feel like and I feel like in experiences that I've had watching plays I'm like I'm very affected by like this sense of like oh my god and suddenly we're five years in the past or like suddenly we've been transported into the future um, and so I think, and I think with this, sh- the voice of this monologue is so, she's in such a bad, like, cruel, brutal headspace, I feel like, for most of it, that I was like, I wanted to get, I wanted to let her get to a more um, grounded, inquisitive place. And I was like, well, I guess it probably, she probably needs a year. <laughs> to get Based on no personal experience, she probably needs a year to deal with this. Um, and is is two birds one stone a real bar? <laughs> no, that's hilarious. <laughs> that's that. No, that's funny. But it was it was killing two birds one with one stone of the ingredients list. Um, oh yes, the ingredients a, list. Yes. Um, which uh, I feel like that was both a mineral. I got the mineral in there and oh, the and something geez. else. Maybe there was. I mean, the animal was already in there because she has the pet dog. But there right. was there Carrots. was some reason for it. But it does sound like a bar. It sounds like a bar would be called Two Birds One oh, Stone. Oh, it's the perfect name for yeah, a bar. Right? Yeah. Restaurateurs take notes. <laughs> Two Birds One Stone is not yet a restaurant. Make good on it now. Oh my God. Yes, <laughs> we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash the chef's monologue. It's what allows this podcast to stay ad free. So we pay our writers and our actors every time they come in to do this sort of a small thank you stipend. Um, but the Patreon, all the money in the Patreon goes to paying the writers and the actors. And also that's how this podcast stays ad free. So we won't be selling you toothpaste or betterhelp.com but I just fucking said betterhelp.com 
We gave them free advertising. <laughs> it's always why it's always like mattresses. Like the advertisements yeah, like are always yeah. Me and deals. They're like, you listen to podcasts, so you must have a lot of trouble sleeping. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and a number of mental disorders. <laughs> and I'm like, I do. Uh, thanks. <laughs> so we have a segment on this podcast that we call One Minute Stan. And it's where we ask our guest writers to spend one minute, approximately one minute. We're not going to time you. But ranting about someone you love and the writing they do. This can be a writer in your orbit, a writer whose work you've seen, a writer with an illustrious career, a writer who's just getting started, or an actor you love. Truly anybody in the art-making, entertainment, theater, film world, someone you want to shout out, someone you're fucking obsessed with. So do you have a one-minute stand? Yes. Okay. Uh (laughs) Here is Callan Dana's one-minute stand. Okay. I would like to highlight Kareen Keithley Sires, um, who is a writer, artist, theater performance maker. Um, and I just took a workshop with her outside of Northwestern, um, which is through her school that she runs um, called the Pelagic School. Everything is run online. You can Google that school, P-E-L-A-G-I-C. Um, and she has, she's truly like a brilliant, um, brilliant person and like very thoughtful about uh, the ways to make performance. She has a bunch of writing and exercises on her website that are really useful for writers and artists of all kinds. Um, but she also leads workshops over Zoom. Um, so anybody can do them. And there's a sliding scale of payment, so it's pretty reasonable for people. And I was introduced to her via our a professor of all of ours at Northwestern, Aaron Courtney, mentioned her because they know each other. Also um, an icon. Also an icon. Somebody else's one-minute stand, surely. Um, and took this workshop with her from January until it just ended yesterday. Um, and she is just truly like, and um, she really like expanded my way of thinking about responding to people's work and like the different ways and forms that people can make writing in. And I made friends in the workshop outside of this school also. Friends? Friends. Um, over Zoom, no less. Over Zoom. Zoom who friends. Who are also excellent writers who I've like learned a lot from, whose names are Elliot Schiff and Maggie uh, Rothberg. <laughs> to also you have reached that. your limit yeah. of names. <laughs> and so anyway, Corinne Keithley Sires. That's who, that's who my answer Corinne Keithley Sires? <laughs> yes. Beautiful. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your one-minute stand. And you threw in some uh, (laughs) two-second stands in there as well. No, we're not going to cut it. It's all about community building here at the Chef's Monologue. Um, Kellen, what a gorgeous monologue that you've given us. um, And what a gift for this conversation. Thank you both for doing this. This is really, uh, like, so fun and really generous of of you both to, to be offering this to everybody. We have to keep that in. (laughs) (laughs) I was just called Generous Live. (laughs) Thank you so much. This was gorgeous. You're wonderful. Shout out to Catherine Tui, the actor who read that monologue. An icon of stage and screen. Um, Thank you so much. Thank you.